are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to talk to you for a little while. 19th chapter of the Gospel of John. We'll talk about does Jesus care. Beginning at verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, now I want you to notice that Jesus himself did not call Mary mother. He said, Behold thy son. Then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Hour after hour, Jesus had been hanging upon tender tendons. Round and round the cycle of suffering he had gone. Until at last, out between parched and swollen lips, he cried, I thirst. This was the cry of the physical. Because not only was his soul being made an offering for sin, but his body was being broken for us. And the only thing he ever asked for in this world was a drink of water. There might have been placid lakes and rushing rivers and artesian wells and costly wines for the rich, but for the master of ocean and earth and skies, there was only vinegar to insult. And when they ran and got a sponge and soaked it in vinegar and came and pressed it to his lips, when they placed that bitter cup to the the lips of Jesus. They placed him in position to sympathize with every human being that would ever live upon this earth, no matter what the circumstance of life might be. No matter what they might be asked to go through, they could say there is one who understands and knows about it. You know, it's foolish for a person who's always been rich to say they can sympathize with the poor. Or for a person who's always had health to say they can sympathize with those that are ill. Or for a person who has never had any bereavement to say they can sympathize with those that are bereaved. There was an Arabian legend that said there was a gravel in every shoe. And in the staff of Solomon a worm had so eaten its way into it and, until it, and weakened it until it broke beneath his weight. Whether that be true or not, I believe it is true that there is a weakness in every human staff upon which we attempt to lean for support. Now, I want to bring you a very simple message tonight. I think sometimes we preachers, I had to learn this, I think sometimes we preachers try to preach too big a sermon. And we put the fodder up so high in the rack the little calves can't get it. Gypsy Smith said that his father told him when he started preaching, never use more than a two-syllable word if that will convey your meaning. 
if that will convey your meaning. And that's the reason, of course, I couldn't do anything else because I do not have education enough to. An old lady said, I love to hear you preach because you're such a simple preacher. I didn't know whether she meant I was a simpleton or whether I made things plain. But I want to make it very plain. As Mr. Cadle used to say, I want to give you a few little pegs that you can hang your hat on. That's what I want. I think we get so busy sometimes singing and preaching about the sweet by and by until we forget to help people in the nasty now and now. I believe this whole world tonight needs a little something to help them in the present, don't you think? Let me give you a few, let me give you tonight a few cups that you, if you have not already had to drink them, if Jesus tarries, you will. And when you have to drink them, you'll be prone to say that no one understands, that no one understands, that no one has ever experienced that. But you can remember when it's placed to your lips that there is one who understands because there is one who, ex who had the same thing happen to him. And I think tonight of the cups. I think first of all of the cup of poverty. Isn't that a simple one? Now this is be a very simple message. There will be nothing didactic. There will be no deep theological discussions tonight but a plain little simple something to help you over the rough places of life. And I said the cup of poverty, and that's a bitter one indeed. That is a bitter one indeed. Some of you listening to me tonight, it has not always been at your house like it is tonight. Everything's lovely tonight. Family's all well, got money in the bank, got a good job. Got a good job, television, radio, automobile, everything is lovely. You don't need anything now. Some of you can rem remember when it was not thus. Some of you can remember when the wolf was scratching at the door. You can remember when there was the little mouths to feed, and the little dresses to buy, and the little shoes to mend, and you were having a hard time to make both ends meet. One day you sat down with your husband, your wife, and you talked things over. And you were bridged here and you cut down there and then you arose discouraged. You arose discouraged. Then the job was lost. Bills piled up. Wages went down. And on top of all of it came a doctor's bill. And finally you threw up your hands and said, it's no use. Nobody understands. Poverty is a terrible thing. If there's any people in this world that ought to be grateful for their abundance, it's the people of this country. Oh, I know what your politicians, I know what the politicians talk. They talk about us being the poorest fed and the poorest clothed and the poorest housed. That's hogwash. We're the best clothed and the best fed and the best housed people of anyone around the encircling globe tonight. And in America, we throw in our garbage cans more than people of other lands have to live on. I get tired of these pinks and reds and liberals and left-wingers. They don't like what's going on and they're all the time talking about this system and our government. Uh, they must like this capitalistic system, amen? And if you don't like what's going on, then get your carcass on a boat and go back where they came from. And thank God we'll sing praise God from whom all blessings flow.
This country's big enough for but one flag, and that's the American flag. That's the American flag. I remember when, I remember once when, the first time I went to the Holy Land in 1952, we were driving through the city of Damascus. And there was a rare refugee camp on the outside of the city. And this little band of children followed us through the city with distended stomachs, not from an abundance of food, but from a lack of it. Little arms and limbs that looked like skin stretched over broom handles. And our guide said, do not give one of these children a piece of candy. They'd turn our car over in the street. I understood then what he meant when he said they followed him for the loaves and the fishes. I crossed the mountains of Lebanon and went down the valley of Baca to the ruins of Baalbek. And there I saw a little Arab boy, 13 or 14 years old, selling little souvenir cards. And he said to me, Mr. Take me to America. I'm a good boy. I'll work for you. Poverty is a terrible thing, and we ought to thank God for our abundance, and we ought to thank God for our plenty. Amen. Oh, but you say, Brother Lincoln, I've experienced that pinch of poverty when I said, nobody understands. There's one who understands. Because he was rich, amen. Walked upon golden streets surrounded by jasper walls and pearly gates. And then one day he laid all that aside and disrobed himself of all of that. And for our sake, he said, he became poor and walked over the embattlements of heaven and down the golden stairways of glory and came into this world by the way of a barn door and went out by the way of an old rugged cross, sailed upon a borrowed boat, rode upon a borrowed beast, went to a fish's mouth to get money to pay his taxes, died upon a borrowed cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, said the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And when he said that, it placed him in position to lean over the embattlements of heaven, over every cottage of poverty tonight, and said, I care, I understand. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. The days are dreary and the long nights dreary. He cares enough to be near. Then there is another very bitter one that we have to drink sometimes, and that's the cup of betrayal. And that's a bitter one, too. You know what? You had a lot of acquaintances, but you had a few friends. You don't have many friends, amen? If you make a dozen good friends in the run of a lifetime, you've done well. Because friends don't come in bunches like bananas, they are made and not met. And that's the reason if you have some, you better keep them. I don't have many, and especially you young preacher, don't forget this. You better keep your friends while you're going up the ladder, because you're going to meet them coming back down one of these days. Amen. I don't have many friends. I have a little bunch, but thank God I'm going to stick to the bunch, because if I leave the bunch, I'll get peeled. That's what I'm telling you. Hallelujah. John said, would you wave? I said, I talk in tongues if you want me to. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I'm a mess, that's all. Let me tell you something tonight. 
But you had one person, a special friend, amen? One that you especially relied on. You visited them when they were sick. You loaned them money. You helped them when they were in need. And you pointed with pride to that one and said, that's my friend. Then one day there came little whispers to your ears that that one had said something about you. And when you heard it, you said, now that's impossible. That's my friend. They couldn't have said anything about me. Then you heard it again, and you heard it again, until it became so real. You had to take it into the realm of your realities. And when it dawned upon you, you threw up your hands and said, My God, isn't there anybody anywhere you can trust? Ah, to be betrayed. I've gone into communities before now, and I've heard the blood drip from the heart of people that have been betrayed. I've seen preachers. They talk about preachers. I said, you ought to be good to your pastors and your preachers. Be good to them. Tell them that, that you appreciate them. You said they'll give them the big head. There's more preachers dies with a broken heart than ever died with a big head. Let me tell you that. But somehow or the other, I've seen them. I've seen them before now. When somebody, uh, I've seen them go, and I've seen them bury the people and marry the folks and baptize the people and do it all, and yet I've seen those folks turn against them and almost claw their eyes out. Almost claw their eyes out, and I've seen those preachers die with a broken heart, betrayed. The Lakin to be, to be betrayed. Don't you ever say anything unkind about your pastor, about any man of God, amen? Don't criticize your preacher before your family and then expect them to win them to Christ. It'll destroy all the confidence in them they could have and then you win and then expect them to win them to Christ. No, you can't do that. I've seen people, I've seen people that'll break the preacher's heart. Listen to what the Bible says. He said, Touch not mine anointed, do my prophets no harm, for I am jealous of my prophets, saith the Lord. I'm jealous of my prophets, saith the Lord. And listen to what else he said. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I will repay. You'll never put your hand against God's anointed that you don't have to pay for it. Amen? You don't have to pay for it. You'll have to pay for it. Betrayed. I know now. Oh, I've been, I've had that. I know a young man that I took when he came out of school and made him my assistant pastor. And then later on I got him a church. And then I held revivals for him. Then I got his church to give him $1,500, and I took him to the Holy Land with me. That's been since 1954, and since 1954, I've had one letter from him. You know why? He's trying to climb the denominational ladder. And to be associated with a speckled bird like me would impede his progress up same. I don't care anything about that. I was 45 years in the establishment with good standing. And I never, I wasn't kicked out either. And I wasn't thrown out. 
I just mounted my horse and tipped my hat and slowly rode away. That's all. <laughs> they told They told me if I did that, the doors would all be closed. I said, if my God can't open them, I don't want them opened. Amen. They said, you'll come out of the little end of the horn. I guess I did, and I jumped up and been blowing the horn ever since. (laughs) I'm going to tell you something tonight. Oh, I don't worry about it. Then I knew another one that I took out of a little cotton mill church. Put him in a church that he never could have had in the world. He went on from that to be pastor of great First Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches. In 30 years, I held two meetings for him. Had to have me almost just for medicinal purposes, but anyhow. The other day, the other day he died without a church. Without a church! Wrote me a letter shortly before after he'd lost his church and they'd kicked him out. He said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to get back to old-fashioned hellfire and damnation preaching. That's what we ought to do. And I wrote him and said, I don't have to get back to it. I never left it. You may have to get back to it, but not me. I've never changed. I've preached life short and death certain, hell hot and eternity long. I... I just move into town and wave my rams out and toot my ram's horn of battle and declare the fight's on. And I load up my old double-barrel gospel gun with ham horns and log chains and salt rock and cayenne pepper and TNT and turpentine and tamp the powder down till the ramrod jumps out about six inches and I cock both barrels and let her go and the fur flies and they furnish it. Amen? <laughs> You don't mind if I shout a little while, do you? I'm going to tell you something, honey. If you've got a good a good case of old-time, sky-blue, blood-red, bedrock, river, Jordan, John the Baptist, regeneration, all wool, a yard wide, stamped on the cork, blowed in the bottle, if you've got that, it'll, it's like the measles. It'll break out on you every now and then. A lot of Baptists look like it's gone in on them, about to kill them. You know? I told you I didn't feel like it tonight, but anyway. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Somebody said, the old brother Lincoln got one foot in the grave. I said, Satan, he's got out of the grave the devil's afraid of. <laughs> said, when you going to retire? Done bought four new ones. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Sometimes I get to thinking about these and I get to feeling sorry for myself. You ever get to feeling sorry for yourself? I get to feeling sorry for myself. I cry. The Lord said, what are you crying about, son? I had 12 of them. And they were, I, I let them ride with me in a boat and storm came up and they watched me take the right hand of deity and iron the wrinkles out of the water and drive the waves across the sea with their tails stuck between their legs like whipped puppies. They saw me, they saw me take a little boy's lunch and feed 5,000 people with it. They saw me burst a grave like a chestnut burr and bring a man out that had been dead for four days. They saw that. They saw that. And yet one of them went out and sold me for 30 pieces of silver and walked down across a little brook and over into a garden and said, Hail, Master, and kissed me and went out with the blood on his lips instead of his heart. He said, he, that was one out of twelve. 
He said, what are you kicking about? You got as good a batting average as I got, amen? One out of twelve. So every time that happens, you know what? He placed him in position to say, I understand. I know! I know! Does Jesus care? When I'm betrayed, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. And then there's another one that's quite bitter. Very simple. And that's the cup of pain. Some of you listening to me tonight haven't seen a well day for years. I asked an old lady the other day, I said, how you feeling? She said, enjoying poor health, thank you. They talk so much about their complaints. One old lady said, I always feel bad when I feel good, because I know I'm going to feel worse. But pain. Some of you listening to me, you got side aches and back aches and headaches and temples throbbing and power of digestion impaired and the power of locomotion almost gone and you drag one weary foot after another and you feel that death would bring a welcome release and you say, I wonder when it will all come to an end. I went to see a little old lady not long ago sitting in a wheelchair with arthritis and her little hands twisted like that and her little feet all gnarled and I took her little hand in mine and she said, Brother Lakin, there ain't nobody in this world knows what I suffer. I said, Honey, there's nobody in this world knows but there's one in heaven that knows. Why? Because he had a body just like yours. He was clothed upon with a body like yours that took our infirmities as well as our sins. And in that body of infirmities, he got weary and tired and had to lie down on a boat and sleep. He had to sit down on a well curb to rest and refresh himself. In that body like yours, he went over into the garden one day and prayed until the sweat became as drops of blood falling down to the ground and walked out of that and over yonder to Pilate's hall and they stripped him and then beat him until the blood ran and the gore spattered and wrapped him in a dirty old red rag and took a crown of thorns and pressed it upon his head and pushed it down until the blood ran down on his beard and dripped upon his breast and dried. And then they shoulder, they put a cross upon his shoulder and he walked outside the city and out over the cobblestone streets. I've been five times, I've walked over the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem out toward the place of Calvary and I could feel like I could almost still see the blood drops on the stones. And around that hill of Calvary he went and up yonder they stretched him out and drove the spikes through his quivering flesh and lifted him up then between the heavens and the earth and brought it down with a thud and the nail holes tore and he clinched them across and pain with its fire-shod feet went racing across his nerve-wracked body until he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He never called God God before. He always called him Father. You know why? Because God's not the father of the unsaved. So when he who knew no sin became sin, when he with that God loved became what God hated, 
God pulled the curtain of darkness between himself and his son and let him feel what it was to die alone. The first time since the morning stars sang together, he sat yonder with the Father in the eternities and watched him and watched him as he spake the earth into existence and scooped out a place in the sea and poured the waters in it and tied it down with a rope of sand and then spread a garment of green over that earth and buttoned it up with garlands and lilies and laughing daffodils and then put the heavens out above looked like they'd been washed with the waves of his purity and his holiness and bedecked him with stars. He saw him and with him then and he was with him from that hour until this and now he pulls the curtain and says he cast him out. Does Jesus care? When your body is pained, he it placed him in a position to lean over the embattlements of heaven and pull the thorn of suffering from the pillow of every sufferer in this world. Does Jesus care? Then he said, when he dropped his chin upon a pulseless chest and said, it's finished. Oh, it's finished. That little blood that dropped down to the crest and then down to the foot of the cross and that drop of blood whispered to a grain of sand and said, it's finished. And the little grain of sand whispered to the root of the grass and said, it's finished. And the root of the grass whispered to the tiny green stem and said, it's finished. The tiny green stem waved its fingers to the boughs of the, and the branches of the tree and said, it's finished. And the boughs of the branches of the tree said to the little birds, it's finished. And they took off from there and winged their way to the fleecy clouds and said, it's finished. And then down the streets of heaven they winged their way and shouted, it is finished. Thank God it's finished. And he descended into hell. You know, I think Jesus literally went to hell that day. And I think he suffered every pain that any, so, any person would ever suffer. He suffered it. He walked down into the gates of hell, walked down into hell because until he died, everybody went there. Until he arose. So he went down. And he looked across and there was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob with those boys. They'd gone down. They were over in the Abraham's bosom side of Sheol. And I think Jesus said, when they got up to meet him, he said, got good news for you, boys. Three days from now, I'm going to take you out of here. Three days from now, I'm going to take you up and out. That's what I'm going to do. Listen to me, my friend. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. There's another one, too, that you'll have to drink, if you haven't already, some of you. And that's the cup of bereavement. Does he care? When my soul is bereaved. It was a long time before death ever came to our house. My father went first, and he was ten years younger than I am, with the same disease that I have tonight. And then my brother went at forty-nine and left three little children. 
Then my mother went, and then my other brother at fifty-five. Then my only son was thirty-one. Yonder in Akron, Ohio, one o'clock in the morning, my phone rang in the hotel. My pastor down in Florida said, Dr. Lakin, something terrible happened here. Bill had a wreck, and it's fatal. My wife came on the phone and said, Honey, I'll bring his body and meet you in West Virginia. I didn't even go home. Some preacher said, Do you want us to drive you back to West Virginia? I said, No, let me. I want to go by myself. Some things I want to get straight. And for 300 miles, my Lord sat beside me in the most marvelous experience I ever had. My father-in-law and mother-in-law lived in our home there, and I got there, and my wife came two days later, and she came up the steps. She came up the stairs. She said, I said, we'll have to be reconciled to it. She said, no, I never can. I said, oh, yes. For 35 years, I told people that God's grace was sufficient. If it's not sufficient for us, then it wasn't sufficient for them. Early one morning, as the dew was still on the grass, we walked out and went up on the hill and stood under that big oak tree beside that mound that claims all that we ever had. There he stood beside me that morning and said, I know how you feel. I understand. I had a little family over in Bethany I used to love to go visit. One day my friend Lazarus died, and they sent for me. And I went over there and stood beside the grave and wept. I used to tell people not to weep. I don't do that anymore. Do you good to go out and sit down and take a good bowl sometime. Amen? Then he said, I've stood beside of every open grave from that day till this, and wept. So he stood and wept, and he said, I know how you feel. And I put my arm around my wife and said, I am the resurrection and the life. You believe in me, though I were dead, yet shall he live. Listen, Mr. Liberalist. Listen, Mr. Modernist. Listen, Mr. Liberal Preacher. Don't take that hope away from me. Why? Because that hangs a rainbow of hope around the shimmering shoulders of the dying storm of my bereavement. Does Jesus care? He said, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. Let me give you the last one. If Jesus tarries, you'll have to go. Death. But he knows. I used to wonder, I used to see them go and come from the graveyard that was on our farm, and I wondered how I'd feel when I'd have to walk down the steps into the tomb. Death would seem to bind itself so tightly across my eyes. I wonder how I'd feel when I'd come to walk down into the tomb. That doesn't hold it. You know, when I was a kid, I always thought this, you know, well, when a fellow gets to be 50, 60 years old, he knows he can't live long. I wonder how he'll feel. I'm 73. And bless God, I'm looking forward to it. Amen. Every now and then I peep 
are tiptoeing people. Looking for loved ones, looking this way, amen. I think they know tonight what I'm doing, amen. And I think maybe Bill went up tonight and said to Jesus, you help Dad preach tonight down there at Landmark. I think he sort of encouraged me tonight and saying, Dad, you don't have four to go. You'll be soon be, yeah, I'll soon be coming, son. Won't be long. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. You say, Brother Lincoln, would you be afraid? No, I wouldn't be afraid. I said to my daddy a few days before you shoved off for heaven. I said, Dad, you afraid to die? He said, no, I'm not afraid to die. I hate to leave your mother and you children, but I'm not afraid to die. I said, what about the sting of death? He said, there is no sting of death for a Christian. For he hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to life. There is no death, no sting, amen? I heard a quartet singing when I crossed Chile Jordan. Don't sing that for me because there is no Chile Jordan. Amen. That's like build me a cabin in glory. I don't want one. I've lived in a cabin all my life. And then sometimes they say, give me a mansion over the hilltop. I've lived in a holler as long as I want to. Bless God, I told him to build me one right down on the corner of Hallelujah and Glory Boulevard, overlooking the river of life, where I can get up in the morning and catch fish out of it that long without any scales on them. That's what, that's what I'm looking for. Amen. <laughs> Woo. Let me tell you something to me. No, I'll not be afraid. Mr. Cato said, he went down in the meadow with his brother Cap one day, and he caught a big bald-headed bumblebee, and he got him down and took him a stick and pushed out his stinger and got out his old Russell Barlow knife and did a major surgical operation and cut off his stinger. And he got him by the wings and went around behind Cap and pulled out his overalls and dropped him down in him. And he jumped and slapped himself, and I said, Son, you heard Mr. Keeler had an air hunger. He said, Son, don't worry. He can't hurt you. I cut his finger off. All that old bee could do was just buzz. All old death can do is just buzz around me, but he can't hurt me. Amen. Though I walked through the valley, I stayed all night, one night in Jericho. Went out the next morning where David wrote the 23rd Psalm, and there was the valley of the shadow of death. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I shall fear no evil. You say, will it be dark in the valley of it to be a light? You can't have a shadow without a light. Amen. You have to have a light, and I won't be afraid. Would you be afraid, Dr. Lakin? No. Three times I've been down to the water's edge. One time, as it tells in my life story out there, when I was operated, when I was 25 years old, and the doctor put a stethoscope on my chest and turned to the other doctors and said, Gentlemen, this man is dead. <laughs> he, he exaggerated it. <laughs> Honest I wasn't. Amen. Another time when they took me to the hospital with a heart attack, I'd had this pain for a long time. I was in Elizabethton, Tennessee, 
preacher told me, he said, I believe you're going to have a heart attack. So I was over at his house, and he said, I'm going to take you to the hospital. So I called my wife and said, we're going to the hospital. I went down to the hospital. They made a cartogram. The doctor didn't see me until after he had read the cartogram, and he came in, and I said, how does it look, doc? And he shook his head and said, bad. And I said, well, where am I going? He said, up to intensive care. And they put me in a wheelchair and wheeled me over to the elevator. I said, get Mrs. Lakin on this phone here. And they got her on the phone. I said, honey, the doctor says I've had a bad heart attack. And they're wheeling me over now. They're going to take me up to intensive care. She started to cry. I said, don't you cry. Because if this thing, if this, if, if this thing doesn't stop there, I'm going on. For I'm all ready to go, washed in Calvary's flow, and this is going to be the last moving for me when I move to the sky up in heaven on high. What a wonderful trip that will be. Thank God. He said, I know how you feel. There'll be no dark valley when Jesus comes. They said they went to see, they went to see Mr. Sankey, Mr. Moody's old singer. He was blind then. His little old organ they called the Kista Whistles was sitting over there. And said to him, I, Beloved, I'd like to hear you play it. He said, Lead me over there. He led him over and he sat down and put his withered fingers on the old yellow key. Then turned those old sightless eyes up toward God and said, There'll be no dark valley when Jesus comes to carry me safely home. It's going to be wonderful, isn't it, when the Lord... Aren't you glad you're saved? Ready to go? All right, brother. I better quit. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.